1: Thank you for joining us and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram and Facebook. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co host is my amazing service dog, Lovey. And we're thrilled to be with you to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today, we're so excited to be welcoming back to the show, Dr. James Ha. And Dr. Ha is a certified applied animal behaviorist. He's also an expert witness and lecturer with lots of experience working with not only dogs, but cats and parrots and the group that he works with is called Animal Behavior Associates of Washington and he's also a retired professor and still works with the University of Washington So Dr. Ha is back with us today to talk about his latest research and a new book that he has coming out all about canine stress. So we're going to talk about how you identify it and how you prevent it. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Dr. Ha back to the show. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to DynaVite for help. Order a 90 day supply of DynaVite. DynaVite is nutrition. Pick up two bottles of Lico Chops. Get the third bottle free. New improved Licochops Chops with omega 3, omega 6, vitamin E, and now six extra direct fed microbials. Even better for the digestive tract and immune system. Try Lico Chops. Buy two, get one free. At DynaVite.com.
0: D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E. Oh. dot com. <laughs> Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com.
1: Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Hello, Dr. Ha, and welcome back.
0: Hi, it's a delight to be back here.
1: Yeah, well, we're so excited that you could be with us today to talk about your latest research around canine stress. So tell us, Dr. Hobb, what is canine stress?
0: Well, canine stress is, you know, a phenomenon that we know as humans. There's human stress and, and every animal undergoes stress. The concern really is developed in recent years with with the widespread uh, you know, and, and really expanding use of dogs in these sort of therapy situations, the emotional support animals, as well as assistance dogs, which are, you know, a different kind of category. But all of these dogs are working with humans, and the concern by some of us, a few dog scientists, behaviorists, and so on, really is coming at the point of view of the dog. I mean, obviously, the dog is a tremendous help to the humans in whatever task they're doing, but we do need to be concerned about how much stress they're experiencing. And stress is simply... Something that throws the dog for a loop, whether it's just being tired, whether it's being hungry, or whether it's more psychological stress, anxiety, things that produce anxiety and fear. and I'm really interested in making sure that people know more about this and are well aware of how to monitor it and what to do about it, and how really how much it can really affect the health of your of your dog.
1: Yeah, well, I am just so excited that you're with us today to talk about this, especially from the perspective of working dogs, because I've seen people out with their assistance dogs and I've seen dogs who look so stressed out in a working environment. And when I see that, I, you know, talk to their handler if I can and ask them and they say, oh, no, no, they're fine. This is just how they are. But that's not necessarily the case. These dogs can be experiencing severe stress that can have lots of of negative impacts. So tell us a little bit about that. Like what are some of the common causes and indicators?
0: Well, you know, the, the common cause in almost all of these cases, well, there's a couple. Well, the one is overwork. The research that's going on now, and there are published research papers and so on out there, very few, very little science, but, but more and more science is out there, and it's, and it's telling us that there is a limit. And then there are some surprises in terms of what stresses a dog in terms of working. And uh, sort of things about the session length, the number of sessions, it depends on the work the dog is doing, of course. But, but it turns out it does affect the dog to work long days, uh, some of these crisis intervention situations and things like that. It stresses the firefighters, the EMTs, the counselors, and everybody else, too. And some stress is not bad it's simply a matter of too much stress. And, and that, of course, happens in humans. You know, there's stress disorders, compassion fatigue, all those sort of things that happen in humans. And basically what we're saying is this can happen in dogs as well, and you need to be able to watch for it. And we see a lot of warning signs. Like, I talk a lot in my public lectures about body language and watching for very subtle signs of, of stress in body language. Things like dogs becoming reluctant to take a treat. Things like dogs showing actual signs of anxiety, like averting their eyes, panting. One of my favorites to watch for is sweaty paws. Dogs only sweat through their paws. And so you can actually watch a dog that's really stressed walk across a shiny floor, hardwood floor, tile floor, and you actually see paw prints. And if you see a paw print, your dog is either very overheated or it's stressed. And it's a really great sign to sort of keep an eye out for. And again, like you, I see these cases, I see these emotional support dogs or therapy dogs, or in some cases, even assistance dogs, and I'm watching them and, you know, there goes the sweaty paws and I'm going, that dog needs to take a break. That dog needs to have a break because of the the stress that's being placed on that dog. So there are some real tips that are coming out from the research about how long they should really be allowed to work for. And the flip side of that is, I really encourage people who are handling these dogs to be very alert and get the education to know about the body language signals and so on that show that the dogs are stressed.
1: that's what I was just thinking as you were talking that it really needs to be incorporated into the handler training um, so that we can be really aware and I know that I know Lovey so well that when she starts to get stressed I can tell she will stand up and give herself a good shake and she might do that a couple of times and if she does it more than once then I'm really starting to pay attention actually when she does it once it makes me pay attention and I'm starting to look for other indicators the other thing she'll do when she gets stressed as she'll scratch, she'll act like she has an itch when really I think she's just trying to deal with her stress. And so as a handler, boy, that my ears start poking up and I'm really paying attention because I know that I need to do something to combat that for her and to help her get some downtime. So do you know of any programs that do a good job of training on canine stress or articles that have been written that, that we could go to for resources?
0: Well, there aren't. Uh, That's the problem. And that's what I'm doing with with some of my public lectures. And that's some of the point, although it's not the primary focus of my new book, some of this is in there. I'm setting up a new website. It's called drjimha.com, D-R-J-I-M-H-A.com. And that as I switch over from my Animal Behavior Associates of Washington site is really intended now to be primarily focused on education and one of the things I'm going to do for instance is have uh, making videos of all my public lectures so the public lecture I think you were at recently on canine stress was a new lecture I put together specifically for the Courthouse Dogs Foundation and and that was recorded and I hope to put a lot of these presentations that I do up on my website so that this information you know becomes more widely people who can't attend my 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 talk, in that case in Seattle, can still get an opportunity to see it. So, you know, there's some general websites, veterinary websites and things like that to talk about this, but there's really something very new. The best source right now is a book. It's by a colleague of mine. Her name is Ann Howie, H-O-W-I-E. And in her book, and I do not have the title of it right at my fingertips, but in her book, she talks about uh, Therapy Dog Bill of Rights. And she really is a proponent and I've picked it up and been really spreading the word about the therapy dog bill of rights about that. The dog has to have some protection. The dog has to have some rights and it's really phenomenal. And it's something that I'm really trying to, to educate and spread the word about. And uh, so her book talks about, you know, it's a two-sided streak, you know, that, that the dog is helping people, but we need to help the dog as well. It's a tremendous uh, resource.
1: Absolutely. And it's something that I know I'm passionate about, especially when we see dogs that, you know, get that label as a fake assistance dog that maybe hasn't had the level of training that that other organizations provide through their assistance dogs. That's so concerning to me that they are experiencing stress. They haven't been trained to be in stressful situations. So thank you for, for sharing that. And we'll make sure that that information is up on our website for Ann Howie's book. Because the dogs, they they are such amazing animals. They need to be protected and, and that we're really mindful of what kind of stress that they're experiencing and how we're responding to that. So tell us, I mean, I heard you say that there are some good kinds of stress. Tell us about positive stress and what you mean by that. Well,
0: yeah, you know, it, 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 stress is not a problem until the subject, the animal, the human or the dog or the parrot or anything else can't cope with it. So we all experience stress. And in fact, some stress Um, produces what we would call appropriate fear, right? And so there can be stress of, I don't know, uh, teetering over a high edge, and that produces fear, that produces a stress response, right? And you pull yourself back in. Have you learned anything? Yes, you learned something. Don't go so close to the edge next time. That was a stressful event. I had a positive outcome and, in fact, was a very good thing. It teaches you not, not to go so close to the edge, right? And children go through this whole process. You tell them not to go close to the edge. Don't go close to the edge. It's dangerous to go close to the edge. They go to close to the edge and uh, hopefully at best they become scared <laughs> or have a negative kind of situation. But, but that should be a case in most cases where the child can cope with it, right? You're afraid and then you calm down, you reach for attachment, you reach for comfort and you're okay, you can cope with it. And and so dogs are going to experience some stress, as I say. So does the the EMT and the firefighter, and the police officer responding maybe to a victim advocate kind of thing. And the dog is there and they're working long hours and they're thirsty and that stress. They do. They can learn to cope with some of that. So it is a learning process. And so it can build a stronger person and it can build a stronger dog. It's when the body and the mind can't cope with it. That we start to produce truly negative effects where the stress is so severe or so prolonged that it turns into an anxiety or it becomes a negative response and becomes associated with that event and so i don't want to go back in that room i don't want to go where there are sirens because the last time the person took me there and i got really it was too long and i got too stressed and i couldn't cope with it and you almost what we talk about in humans is you almost kind of snap and suddenly become afraid or have an automatic response. And this can range to nightmares and and things like that. And this can happen with dogs as well. So what we're really concerned about is not so much in the assistance dogs, because I think a lot of the assistance dog handlers are really well-trained, as you say. Where we're really seeing this is in the therapy dog, emotional support animal situation. You know, the emotional support animal on the airplane that is just terrified. And all I can think about is... I hope that presence of that animal is really comforting yeah. that owner because there's a cost there, Yeah. Um, you know, but a little stress, they may learn to how to deal with it, right? And if I hide my head under the jacket of my owner, the stress goes away. That's fine. That's part of life. But then if it doesn't go away, <laughs> right, and it's prolonged, you're going to have a severe effect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I've been on those planes and seen those, the dogs like that. And I have had the same thoughts, Dr. Hov. Wow. I hope it's really worth it to you for what you're putting this little animal through that's not prepared for this experience. So yeah. And that anxiety can just build. So if that happens, how can you treat anxiety behaviors? Well,
0: anxiety behaviors, depending on sort of how far they've gone, how they've developed. It depends on the temperament or personality of the animal. So there's a lot of variables that go in it, but certainly a very qualified behaviorist, not so much a trainer, but a true professional applied animal behaviorist. Can treat it. So there are ways of treating it through uh, certain kinds of behavior modifications. There are methods that we have using positive reinforcement. But they're somewhat like methods used for humans. Um, there are medications that can be used to to begin to desensitize the animal to whatever was so negative, and you kind of work them back into the situation gently. So there are certainly some methods you know that can be used to recover a dog or a person from a traumatic situation, you know, too much stress basically. But my concern is that there needs to be somebody who's recognizing that that's the situation and recognizing that the dog needs help and not putting the dog right back into that situation even after treatment, uh, things like that. And so that's, that's where the education is and, and the, the, the trying to get out information about the warning signs and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, well, this is all wonderful information and we are going to take just a quick moment and hear some important messages from our sponsors and then we're going to come back and continue talking about this because there's lots more to talk about and we're so glad that Dr. Haas with us to give us his expertise on this really important subject for all dogs but especially for working dogs. So come right back. Put on a perfectly possum pet party! Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit pet party accessories. Party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photo prop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treats. Bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes: Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com and Bandit slash pet life.
0: Let's talk pets.
1: Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio.
0: Pet Life Radio. PetLiferadio.com. Pet
1: <laughs> Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio, and we're visiting today with researcher and animal behaviorist, Dr. James Haw. And before the break, we were talking about how to treat anxiety behaviors. And I, as you said, Dr. Haw, I was at your presentation that you made at the Courthouse Dog Foundation Conference, which was so wonderful, and you talked there about the handler dog feedback loop. Can you tell our listeners what you mean by that?
0: Yeah, what I mean by that is I'm trying to make owners, handlers, aware of the fact that you really have a relationship. We've talked about this before, but we're finding out more and more about that relationship between the handler, between the human and the dog. And it's really a matter of the fact that one of the important, really important aspects to reducing anxiety and helping a dog deal with stress in its life is allowing a dog to have some control over its life. And so it's allowing it to have, be able to make decisions, to have some control over its environment. And one of the examples I talk about is even having control over the handler and really bringing the realization to a lot of folks that you're training your dog, you're managing your dog, you're manipulating your dog, you have a relationship with your dog uh, with you know, uh, positive reinforcement, uh, punishment t- training, so you can alter the behavior of your dog. But your dog is manipulating you too, and it, that's important. Actually, <laughs> that your dog has some kind of control. Almost everybody can think of some signal your dog gives that you respond to, whether it's for affection, attention, uh, feeding time. And you were just mentioning the fact that you notice, you think you, you you're pretty sure you know when your dog is anxious because it. It scratches or it shakes. And that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about because it gives a shake. Now you are responding to that, right? You're saying, oof, it originally he did that just because he was anxious, a little stressed. And now you're recognizing that and saying, he's a little stressed. Now I need to respond to that and getting him or her out of the stress, right? And so it's now become a bit of communication between the two of you. The dog will learn that they can manipulate you through that signal. And that's what I'm saying is that's not a bad thing. That's important to have that two-way communication and the opportunity for not only you to control your environment and what your dog is doing, but the dog to be able to control their environment in some cases, of course, not in all cases. But. And so in the choice of food, in the choice of toys, uh, companionship, who get, the, they get to hang out. And a lot of these dogs, and particularly these assistance dogs, you know, lead very structured lives. And um, very important work, really what I call mission-critical dogs. They make a mistake. Something bad is going to happen to somebody, leading the blind or whatever. And that can be simply that rigor can be stressful. And, of course, the dogs are chosen. I mean, these dogs are heavily screened and make sure they have a personality that's appropriate for that kind of thing. But still, we're seeing that a lot of them are burning out at a younger age than we thought they should be able to continue working. And we think it it may be due to the fact that they're undergoing this sort of stress of not being able to control their environment. The handler has all the control, the dog has none. And that's a stressful thing.
1: Yeah. Well, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that piece about retirement, because I know that's something that's a sensitive topic in the working dog world, especially with assistance dogs, because people want their dog. When you bond with the dog and you have this incredible relationship, you don't want that to end, right? We want to continue it. But I've seen dogs that really should be retired and really should not be working, you know, into 10, even over 10 years old. I know that's something that I've always really watched my dogs and they've all told me when they've had enough and they were ready to retire. And, you know, that has varied in age. But what are your thoughts on retiring a working dog? When should that happen? And what should we really be looking at?
0: Well, I I think this is a major issue. And this is exactly one of the major issues that Anne Howie talks about, I think, retirement age is not being recognized, not being acknowledged. One of the problems is that there's very little, I could almost pretty sure say none, uh, very little research on the topic. And so there's no reason why we can't study this as a science and as the science of animal behavior. It hasn't been done. It, it's because of a lack of funding and so far a lack of interest by individuals who provide this kind of funding. I think it's a, a major crisis in terms of welfare for for these dogs. And um and as you say, in almost all cases, the dogs are giving you the signal. The dogs yeah. are telling you. Whether you're listening, and That's you, right. <laughs> I'm sure, are listening, but you are not our average handler, uh, certainly not, uh, certainly perhaps of an assistance dog, again, with a little bit more education. But where we're really worried are these sort of the use of this pet dogs and therapy dogs and emotional support animals. And, you know, they may be fine helping you travel on a plane to use the classic example of an emotional support animal for some years. And it may get to the point where you're doing more harm to them than they're helping you at a certain age. And they're telling you about that. They're informing you of that in no uncertain terms, but a lot of people are ignoring it, don't have the education, don't have the realization. I think, you know, uh, veterinarians are going to consider a dog to be geriatric in terms of medical care at about seven or eight years of age. Mm -hmm. That is the time to certainly be thinking about it, possibly earlier, we have things like early senescence and so on. So it could be earlier. I think 10 is a real good, probably average number. if we studied this, I think my gut feeling is we'd come up with 10 years old as an average, but could be eight, could be 12, mm-hmm. possibly could you know they're animals. it could be could be even older. and so um, there's always exceptions. But I think it's a really critical issue and I don't think it's something that they are really hiding. I think it's something that people are not being sensitive to.
1: Yeah, I could not agree with you more. And I've had, I can tell you that none of my dogs have worked past the age of eight. None of them. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. I I think it's an issue that I know it's an issue that I got lots of questions about in the courthouse dog world. And Mm -hmm. we'll be doing a workshop on at the next conference on talking about, you know, what science do we have and what are the factors and what things to look for and so on. Because, you know, there's a group of people who and what's happened is that's a relatively new phenomenon and they all have young dogs. And now it's just gotten to the point where some of those dogs are hitting eight years Mm -hmm. old or nine Mm -hmm. years old. And we need to start thinking about that. If we want to be careful and ethically responsible for the welfare of these dogs, it's going to be time. And and that's certainly something that uh, assistance dogs, people have dealt with for many years.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear that you're going to be speaking about that. That's great. Well, so tell us about your new book that you have coming out. First of all, when is it coming out?
0: Well, that's a good question. We're just finishing up the, the, the final proofs right now, and so there have been a few delays. Right now, I believe the current date, it's coming out from Academic Press. The current date is November 30th. It might get shifted a little bit. It is available for pre-order from Amazon, and will be coming out in a few other outlets as well. So we're very excited. It just popped up on uh, the pre-order list on Amazon. Uh, the title is Dog Behavior, Modern Science and Our Canine Companions. And it is by me, uh, Jim Ha, and my co-author, Tracy Campion, which is C-A-M-P-I-O-N. She's a brilliant writer that helped me actually get this thing off the ground in the air and, and uh, uh, in for landing. It really put the the great words in there with the material I wanted and said it so well. And really what it is is in general it's really an uh, introduction to the modern science of animal behavior. Uh, when I got started in this business stocking to owners and trainers and veterinarians and so on, I really heard so much old-fashioned or outdated animal behavior science ideas and concepts. I heard a lot of people who didn't even know animal behavior was a science. And it's been an active science you know, for over a hundred years. And we have our own scientific journals and our own publications and professional societies and conferences and funding from the National Science Foundation and, and everything. So I really wanted to write an introduction to modern animal behavior science and concepts and methods. How do we as animal, professional animal behaviorists learn about animal behavior? Whether it's wild animals or domesticated animals or companion animals or whatever. And write it at a level that the average person, you know, would enjoy reading and and learn something from and focus it on dogs. And so it's an introduction to the modern science of, I guess, animal behavior science and particularly with examples illustrated completely about dogs.
1: Oh, it sounds wonderful. Well, I know I can't wait for it to come out, and I'm glad that it's not going to be much longer before we can get our hands on it because, as you said, we need to educate ourselves. We need to learn, especially when we're partnered with one of these canines, the more I can learn about how I can be a better handler, the better. I just can't get enough information about that. And and learning about that dog behavior is just so important
0: that's really what I wanted to do was really get more education out there and talk about some of the science that is out there and what do we know and what do we not know? You know, what's true and some of what's not true. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I have to ask you, at you know, as I said, I did hear you present in Washington and Seattle at the wonderful um, conference and I have to say I thought how you ended your second presentation was so clever where you had images, you had a PowerPoint presentation just so our listeners can get a feel for this this. You had this PowerPoint presentation, and it, it was all, you know, research-based and very academic. And then at the end, you had these adorable pictures of you and your wife in your home where you live, which is actually by the water and on a boat. And I thought it was hysterical that you had and you started noting that there was no dog in these pictures, that it was you and your wife, and that you seemed very lonely without a dog. And you made an appeal to the audience who included assistance dog organizations that train courthouse dogs and other types of dogs, which I thought was just so adorable how you did that. And as I said, very clever, because it's my understanding that that tactic worked and that you're now getting a retired dog that's coming to you. Is that true?
0: Yeah, yes, uh, it is. Um, Franny from um, Assistance Dogs of the West is coming to us soon, very soon. As I began to work with the Courthouse Dogs Foundation, I'm their scientific advisor and, and member of the board of directors. I learned more about the ADI uh, organizations and the fact that there are so many of these wonderful dogs that are purpose-bred, reared in standard ways, get all kinds of great overly socialization by all of the armies of fosters of puppy rears and come back for evaluation. And in some cases you know, 40 or 50% of these dogs that come back may not qualify for the, the the intense training at at a year and a half or two years of age that's needed for their work. And they need homes, and they need to be adopted. And we really were looking for a dog that wasn't too much of a challenge i've spent my whole career helping people with a lot of very challenging dogs i don't need a new project really wanted to relax a little bit and these would just be even if they were what they call career changers because they had minor problems you know that, that disqualified them for for further training it'd be a wonderful dog and certainly a labrador you know love water and we're down here in the florida keys now and and very much water-based life so so I, I began looking for one. making an appeal for these, one of these a number of years ago. And then Hurricane Irma interrupted us for a bit. And so we've been in without a dog for a while. And I wanted to remind all of the ADI organizations that if they had any dogs, that couldn't <laughs> quite make it in the program. There was a wonderful opportunity in the Florida Keys for them to retire to. And, um, and uh, absolutely, um, Assistance Dogs of the West has come through. And we're actually getting uh, a dog who is uh, actually one of their breeding females that, that have produced a number of yes assistant dogs. And um, apparently, you know her.
1: I do. <laughs> you, I am you so. You met her. I haven't met her yet. Yes. Um, we
0: dozens do. of pictures. So she, she's coming to
1: us. She is more than adorable. And actually, she and Lovey trained together in the same class. And I actually worked with Franny as a possibility of her being my assistance dog and just adored her and then they selected her for the breeder program and they placed lovey with me but you are getting a fabulous dog who is going to be a major asset to your world down there in south florida <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm re- uh, we are so excited my wife is so excited we've been <laughs> so, so busy recovering from the hurricane and and now that you know that that's past and, you know, we can sort of start thinking about it again. We're very, very excited. So, um, I think Franny's coming to us uh, right after Thanksgiving. So
1: Oh, awesome. Well, you're about to have a wonderful new addition. She's so smart. She And she has had some incredible puppies. So, she has just contributed so much to, to courthouse dogs, to people with disabilities, to crisis response dogs. I mean, Franny is just, she's a little angel and she deserves to retire in the Keys. That's awesome. Dr. Ha? Yeah,
0: yeah. they <laughs> tell me she's very excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, were, there were something like 50 or 60 assistance dog, courthouse dogs, at the Courthouse Dogs Foundation, and so I actually got to meet six of Franny's offspring and one granddaughter, all who were qualified, trained assistance dogs. And yes,
1: so. yes. There were some amazing dogs at that conference and amazing handlers. Yeah, that was yeah. really a treat. Yeah. Yeah, that was. Well, Dr. Ha, I cannot thank you enough for spending part of your day with us today and sharing this important information. And just tell our listeners one more time, you mentioned the website. Is that website already up, the Dr. Yeah. So Yeah,
0: it's it's up. It's not got a whole lot. It, we're working on it.
1: Okay, uh, But it, but it yeah. is
0: trying to keep things posted about the book and updates. So there's, there'll be lots more to come as the book comes out or follow me on Facebook. Again, it's Dr. Jim Ha. D-R-J-I-M-H-A. And then okay. again, that's why I'm putting announcements and updates, and I'm about to post we just got the cover art for the book i'm going to you know put little teasers out to remind people mm-hmm. that it's coming out. so if you want to stay up to date on that any of that information, check out the website, which is under construction, but almost there, and the the Facebook page I'm definitely contributing to.
1: Okay, wonderful. Well, we will definitely be following you, and anticipating the release of your book. I really am looking forward to that, and I hope you'll come back and tell us about your future research as you work on the retirement issues and other other projects that I know you'll be working on in the future.
0: Absolutely, I would love to come back. I'm a lot of the research I'm active research I'm doing now is through Purdue University, and we're working uh, really working on the on the issue of puppy mills and uh, working on some new approaches to methods for figuring out how to regulate and get rid of puppy mills and um, and work on rehoming issues in shelters and so on. So a lot of exciting research going on there. So I'd be be happy to talk about that too sometime. If yeah. You
1: want. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. We're going to hold you to it, Dr. Hoff. Okay. okay Okay. awesome well thank you and thank you our listeners for being with us we love that you spend part of your day with us and you know that we love to hear from you so please keep your questions comments or your ideas for future shows because you've given us some great ones and we love to hear from you so you can email us at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E at PetLifeRadio.com and you know you can also follow Working Like dogs on facebook twitter and instagram and we're having so much fun connecting with you and seeing all of your beautiful images of your working dogs we love to see that and we love to hear about the incredible work that they're doing every day so thanks so much for being with us and take good care
0: let's talk pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com